Hey, everybody. It's Tanya from Recovering Church Girls. Welcome back and welcome especially to Robin Joy Myers, our guest today. So hi, Robin. Hi, Tanya. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to have this conversation. And I have to laugh because I think I start every episode with I'm so excited about this, but really, I'm kind of excited just in general. So I guess that that goes with part of it. Um, But one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to you is because, again, like so many other conversations, it's been in spits and spurts about the the starting to find all these different places and the delayed time just because life is life and you know we we get to have these moments of connection and then we get busy again so now we get to have a few moments uninterrupted just to really dig into all of this and it's something i've been looking forward to so I have been as well. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for flexibility. That's for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and that goes both ways. So for anyone who doesn't know you yet, uh, you are an author, a speaker, a fear strategist, which I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about that. And you're also the host of a radio show entitled Activate Bold Choices. So tell me a little bit more both about the radio show and what exactly is a fear strategist? Okay. Well, the radio show activate bold choices it's actually on bbm global network and it goes on to itunes as a podcast but my goal is um to like you to open up conversations as to creating the life that you want to have but to do that you personally have to activate your own choices and Mm -hmm. sometimes they're very bold and sometimes there might not be the most popular choice but um you have to find what you're happy in and what your non-negotiables are in life. And until you can define that for yourself um, and show up best for yourself, you won't show up best for others. So I try and bring on, you know, wonderful guests and you're going to be one of them in January (laughs) um, as to what bold choices you're taking in your life to really create the life that you want and deserve. I love that. And within that, that kind of comes into the fear. Uh, I talk a lot about fear and how fear scientifically, um, that's another side of my life, <laughs> um, actually happens. And fear is a good thing. It's actually an advantage. And I call it a gifted advantage because there, not everybody has the gift of knowing fear scientifically. And um, we should use fear actively to trust our instinct, trust our intuition, and really move forward you know, Mm. to use it instead of as this negative energy that holds us back, use it as a launching pad. Right. Yeah. I love that idea because I think so often and for so long, fear was given so much extra attention and almost like credit that really wasn't even due. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the idea of, oh, well, I'm afraid. So therefore I must not, you know, do X, Y, or Z. And, and instead being able to use that as the markers for the things that could really create some new change and some new possibility. That's some really exciting stuff and all the research that backs that up. Definitely. And, you know, the research is, is actually amazing because not to get too scientific on you, but um, the five areas of the brain are involved in actual fear. And one area called the amygdala, which actually stores imprints of your fear from as early on your nonverbal years throughout your entire life. So if you can imagine, every little episode that happens builds along the way. And the interesting thing is, is that 
very often as, and I'm a parent, very often we impose our own fears onto our children. Mm. So I talk a lot about, you know, choose those imprints that serve you and remove the ones that don't. And part of that is giving yourself permission to do that. So I believe in like the paint, give yourself the permission. And then I like to strategize (laughs) to work through fear as far as in four steps, forgive, emerge, accept, and then resolve it. Mm. And once you can resolve it, then you can go ahead and speak your truth. Right. I love that. And I love that, that kind of philosophy and also the, the strategy, the system as it relates to recovering church girls. Because mm-hmm. when I look at so much of the programming that many of us experienced, whether it was growing up in organized religion or just the trickle down effect of, you know, Main Street USA, uh, and at the risk of sounding like a raging feminist, but the idea of the, the patriarchal structure that has really influenced so much of what we've experienced. When I'm looking and I'm peeling back all the layers, I find that a lot of the construct itself, the objective was to control behavior. And oftentimes it was fear that was used in order to get the desired outcome. So to be able to be very systematic about looking at your fears and understanding where they came from, and is it something that you actually experienced, or is it something that you experienced by default because you were told to be afraid? Those are two very different things. And the idea of is that real, excuse me, is that real, or is that not? You know, that that really gets you into a much deeper way of looking at things and evaluating how we think. So true. And you know, I have plenty of examples of that, but interestingly enough, I was uh, working with these kids that are mentored by Colin Powell yesterday in DC that I volunteered for a while ago. And so I was talking about fear to them and trying to talk on their level. It was um, seventh and eighth graders, I think. And like they would say, oh, I'm scared of heights and I'm, you know, I'm scared of animals and things like that. And I was like, did you ever fall down? And they're like, no and I was like did you ever climb a ladder and they're like no and I'm like where do you think you got scared you know Mm -hmm. and they're like I don't know so I use the scenario actually in my talk like if you're on a playground and we've all done it as parents right you have two kids fall down from the monkey bars just as an example you know there's that parent that will run over to their child and it's usually when, when you have the firstborn, you right. run over and you scoop <laughs> them up and, you know, you hug them and you kiss them. And they usually cry more out of the reaction from you. Mm-hmm. Then you have the parent from when they have multiple kids, <laughs> like me, you look up and if they're okay and it's not a bad fall, you kind of encourage them to get up. Right. But as, as insignificant as that seems, the first parent, totally out of love and concern, begins a cascade of reactions and that imprint starts and it almost builds from that fear of the fall to the fear of getting back up and taking a risk to the fear of judgment where the other kid got themselves up and will go back and take that risk without second guessing it. Mm -hmm. And if you just start laying that out, even like in a timeline, can you just imagine like, how many incidences of our lives that just grows to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking too about the idea, kind of a a current that I hear in this is also the concept of resiliency. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, 
I'd love to talk about the idea of validating the experience in the moment, because I think especially as parents, you know, we, or I should say, not necessarily this is a common thing with all parents, but a lot of parents who are in the process of becoming more enlightened and more conscious in this exact moment, Mm -hmm. we want to be very careful to honor and validate the emotions and the experiences that our kids are having. And at the same time, not to create that cascading effect that you just mentioned, that's going to continue to kind of spiral out into an undesired outcome. So what could you say about the idea of how do we in the parental role, or maybe even as reparenting ourselves, how do we honor the experience and say, yeah, this really hurt, this really sucked, this was a bad moment, and we don't have to stay here. We can continue to move on. How do you bridge between A and B? Right. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. That's a fabulous question. And it kind of depends where you're, at, where you're at in life, really. But it definitely is a bridge. So I really believe people have to kind of stop and pause when something happens. And as a parent, what I've learned with my kids, <laughs> and I used to always joke, you know, when they're older, I'll find out if I've done it right or not. Right. Um, <laughs> and I gave my, my oldest a son of being 26 and he's 26. So, so far, okay. I'll give him now to 30. But um, <laughs> if um, I always leave the line of communication open, you know, that I'm there, that go-to person. And what I say to them as a parent is really see can could you have controlled the situation hmm. you know if this is ha if this happened and okay let's say it feels like the heaviest moment right now in your life could could you do you have any control over that and if so what would you do to change it you know so try to make it really that learning moment mm -hmm. and not hold on to it i've learned that a lot and even as an adult you know and it kind of is that resiliency or just moving forward because I really believe kind of it's happened. Um, it's done. Right. And you got to just keep going, you mm -hmm. know, otherwise we get stuck in, in these patterns that have happened. And so, and especially then if you can't control the situation, you just have to kind of, you know, wipe your hands and say like, I couldn't do anything about it. And right. um, if it's someone that might've been involved, I'm sorry this happened. But, you know, I really believe, Tanya, the bottom line is self-awareness mm. in all of this. And I really talk a lot to my own kids, but to everybody that it really need to take some, I talk about alone time, mm -hmm. how important alone time is to really get to know who you are. Yes. at any age and really understand what you need from every day, what you want as your goals, what your non-negotiables are in your personal life, your career, your relationships, friendships, you know, what makes you tick mm -hmm. and, and get very solid in that because then you realize what you'll take in and what you won't take in. And I've, now I'm very selective and, and I think in a good way, but to me, it's fine because I'm true to me. Like I know I go to right. bed tonight just being a, 
a good person. Hopefully I've helped somebody that day. <laughs> um, but I know that I've done the best I can that day, every right. day, you know? So I really believe that building that self-awareness is such a key thing in our lives. And I think sometimes we forget that because we're running so quickly all the time mm-hmm. that it's, it's a very hard mindset to start shifting to say, I, I don't have five or 10 minutes to take for myself. So it's really learning how to do that. Right. Right. And I love that you had already mentioned the idea of permission to give ourselves permission to really prioritize that kind of introspection and almost like a review, you know, kind of dump the contents of your life out on the table, sort things out and really get to know yourself in a new and deeper way. So Mm -hmm. that then from there, that opens up the doors of, you know, creating the next step of your reality and not necessarily being destined to repeat things on a loop because sometimes that's kind of how it feels (laughs) it does it does and you know something the other part of that really is is if you feel like you're getting on a loop again you know stop and pause and and forgive yourself so if you get on a loop and either you didn't get your morning routine or your alone time in or you kind of took a step back or two steps back or three steps back but you know just pause and forgive yourself and try again. You know, we tend to beat ourselves up mm-hmm. and we need to remind ourselves that, you know, really we are our own best friend. Right. And we certainly wouldn't talk to our friends the way we talk to ourselves. So we have to show ourselves a little self-care and kindness as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the idea of forgiving ourselves because I think that one of the things I've seen more pervasive within the community for recovering church girls is the idea that it's so incredibly difficult to forgive ourselves because we were told from the very beginning everything that's wrong with all of humanity and the world at large comes down to the sins of a woman and then let's add the purity culture on top of that and now it's our responsibility to ensure that the men in our lives behave properly because they can't control their own emotions or behaviors it's really about whether or not we're wearing spaghetti straps you know really just you get all of these layers that you know that might have been might have been based from a place of again trying to protect i want to believe that the people who made these decisions and made these rules were coming from a place of good intent so I'm going to, to put that out there for them. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that all of the time, but I'm going to try. Right. But the idea of you know what was given to us as a belief system, as a way of seeing the world, whether it was explicitly required or implicitly, this is what we're holding out as the gold star standard. And by the way, none of you are good enough anyway. So let's go ahead and add on the perfectionism and the workaholic and the people pleasing and, you know, all of these different layers. So to really start to understand who we are at the core, there is a lot of baggage that many of us have to offload in order to get to the point where we can forgive ourselves. Absolutely. I love what you just said. Absolutely. And, you know, when you think about it, where where in society did this patriarchal role start like who created that like we we obviously grew up with it but why and it's kind of like fear why was fear deemed this big negative brick wall in front of us I don't know 
Yeah, I think that's a, a solid question. Uh, I have to say probably to the uh, shock and chagrin of many of my extended family members, I would say it's the church. It mm-hmm. is really you know, very heavily influenced in the idea of the, not only the narrative of the patriarchal construct and structure, but I would go a step further to say that somewhere along the line, someone chose to continue that narrative rather than saying, you know, I don't think this actually serves us anymore. What can we look at from a community base, from something that, you know, gives honor to the female and the even divine female in addition mm-hmm. to the divine masculine? You know, that, so I feel like there's, there's a lot of layers there. <laughs> there's a lot of layers. I love this. There's a lot of layers. And you even look at politics and we don't have to go there, but um, but you know, it's so funny. It go, we go to politics almost all the time. Not <laughs> that we ever intend to, I mean, it's not a political podcast, but it's all part of it. It's all part of it. But the interesting thing is, is, you know, you look at even how the constitution has been, um, interpreted, you know, um, and that was written so long ago. Yes, there's rights and stuff like that, but women have fought for their rights mm-hmm. as many others have but it's kind of like we're human beings right and I think that's where this um fight and distresses like but why should there be this fight like for both human beings I even look at my husband sometimes and I'm like what is your problem like I'm not <laughs> your child you know um we, we came in this as an equal partner mm-hmm. so get up and do whatever you have to do, but I don't have to do it for you. Right. Absolutely. And I think that that becomes very interesting, especially around the idea of running a household. And we all remember, you know, the article that went viral last year about the mental load and the emotional load that women carry to run the household and to make things work whether their their men are involved or not, it's the idea of I shouldn't have to tell you to take the trash out because tonight is trash night. I just need you to, you know, take ownership and get it done. And yet how often it comes to the default to fall on the women's side of, you know, kind of the chore chart, if you will, <laughs> for our daily lives. Absolutely. And I find that so fascinating. I, I totally agree. And it's, it's funny. I don't know if you've ever had this. I find that, so if you miss trash night, um, somehow it's your fault, even though it might've been their job. It's, <laughs> it's your fault, but it's, it's so interesting. And it's so interesting when you listen to the news, which I'm tired of listening to sometimes, but um, why it still is that patriarchal conversation you know as as it's getting better but it's still a fight like Mm -hmm. what when hopefully sooner than later it will balance Mm -hmm. if we balance right and are you looking at that as more of a societal piece or more of an individual piece do you think one needs to come before the other or do you see them being more integrated i think um I think the integration has to happen. I think individually it's happening with people like you and I, um, people we know like Trisha Brooke, you know, people speaking out and using their powers to share messages and try and um, spread the word, Mm -hmm. you know, but um, 
and open the conversations. I think the more women that can open the conversations of all ages, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly that has happened in their lives uh, and just share it and, and know that some may approve, some may not approve, but just share it, I think is great. And I think that's why it's so important for women to collaborate. Mm -hmm. It's that bigger picture of the judgment. And, and listen, we're going to be judged no matter what, right? right? I talk about, you know, permission to talk and getting over the fear of judgment. You're, chances are you're going to have judgment. You just have to not listen to the judgment and be comfortable with yourself. But I do think that um, it's that bigger piece of the judgment just not just not coming out all the time, if that makes any sense. Sure, it does. It's almost like, again, we have that uh, almost like a consistent evaluation going on of is this something that serves me or is it not in regard to the, any feedback we might be getting or that type of a thing. And I think that what I found so interesting in that process for myself personally is there are some that could really sit on the sidelines and look at that and say, well, that's just selfish. You're just looking for something to back you up and to, you know, fluff up your feelings or, you know, whatever the case might be. But when you've done the work to really truly dive deep into understanding who you are, how you're motivated, what your purpose is, how you best connect with people and what you're here to do, when you're coming from that place, none of that really matters, or at least it doesn't matter as much as when you're influenced instead by the people pleasing and the approval. Absolutely. And I say that Absolutely. only because, you know, I, like all of us, I'm still in the work. You know, we never, <laughs> we never really get to graduate, I don't feel like. Uh, it's just we get to another layer, a, a new uh, a new opportunity <laughs> I to, agree with to look you. at things again, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, you know, it's part of that whole self-awareness piece. And so for me, I know my triggers, the length of my triggers are shorter and shorter mm. because I, I have become so aware with all of those pieces for me. And that's what I try and, and teach people is recognize it quicker and quicker, right? So when you feel like, you're um you're taking a step back because someone is overstepping um you're on it you just recognize it that much faster but it's i think it's always growth i really agree with you i think there's constant growth but again um you being able to say like i'm not accepting that i'm stepping beyond that and that's not acceptable to come into that world of mine is all the uh you know more power to you Right. Well, I think what, what's so magical about that is that you're really bringing the choice to a conscious level mm -hmm. rather than just what so many of us have done and would do without this kind of foundation is just to accept it. Well, you say the sky is pink, man, it must be pink rather than looking and saying, no, actually today it's kind of gray. And, right. you know, being able to evaluate for ourselves rather than just accept it. And as that relates back again to the idea of, you know, kind of really being very careful with how we think and what we think and what we're being influenced by when you look at the societal impact and also the religious impact, it's a whole new way of perceiving everything that's going on. And it's kind of funny because there's actually a scripture verse 
that will back that idea up, that we were never intended to simply just accept all of the things, that we are supposed to divine between right and wrong, and that we are supposed to listen to our intuition or the Holy Spirit to be able to, you know, identify those things for ourselves. But somewhere along the way, some priest or pastor or somebody (laughs) decided, no, no, I want you to listen to me and my definition, my version of what this means. So it's just kind of like, you know, if we actually go back to the roots, everything that we're talking about, which some people would say is more of, you know, the woo-woo way of being or the mindfulness or, you know, all of these other things that tend to have more of an Eastern bend, Mm -hmm. I think that's actually more of what was intended the whole time. That's really interesting. So it's, it's almost someone else's interpretation has shifted. It seems like it to me. It seems like at some point in time there was a benefit for keeping things the way that they had always been. And, you know, we talk about fear. It's not just, especially not just us as individuals, as women who have that, but I think also, you know, somewhere along the way, and I hate to say it, but it was probably a group of old white guys, uh, you know, decided that we don't want change because we're comfortable with the way things are and we are afraid of change. Therefore, let's continue this narrative. Let's continue to say that you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to get approval. And, you know, here we are, however many decades and generations later. Wow. I love that. Very interesting. You know, I, I, we lived in a place called, um, well, maybe I shouldn't, Western Loudoun <laughs> County, <laughs> Virginia. <laughs> I'll be careful on this part. Um, that tended to be, um, can I say churchy? Yep, that works. Okay. I spent a lot of time in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I think is pretty much the buckle of the Bible Belt. So, uh, yep, I totally get the idea of churchy being a definition for a place. But what I found interesting was um, how judgmental they were. Mm. And I remember sometimes thinking, like, can you just be a good person, you know? Mm. you. You can't hide behind saying, I'm a good, I'm a good Christian. I'm a good Catholic. I'm a good Jewish person. You know, you can't hide behind that if you're doing one thing and say one thing and do another thing. Like I, I have an issue with that in life. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, And I remember even my kids in school and like just the conversations. And I'm like, my daughter had this one girl because we're Jewish um half and half and uh she's like I don't think you're gonna go to heaven and I think they were peanuts I mean she was maybe 10 years old and she came home and she's like uh am I not gonna be in heaven and I'm like what Wow. (laughs) we just moved too and I was like oh my gosh like that's not the conversation I thought I'd be having with the 10 year old right I was like wow okay this is gonna be an interesting time in our life (laughs) But I just, it's just kind of like an interesting thing. Like, just be good people and other things will follow. Like, Mm. just be good. Right. That's all. You know, what's so interesting about that. um, So first of all, 
I, I am compelled to apologize on behalf of everybody who's ever perpetuated that because I know I certainly have, you know, at different points in my life. But truly, I am I'm so sorry that she had that experience and that that, of course, you know, impacted her thought process in that moment. Because what happens in the evangelical church is that it's basically laid out for us that if we really care about people, then we will do everything within our power to convince them that they need Jesus in order to escape eternal damnation. What happens in that whole thing is that there is this immense responsibility and pressure to pretty much go out and, and win the world by the weekend, you know, is right. kind of the idea because <laughs> Jesus is coming anytime and you don't know when that's going to happen and you better not be caught unaware. So you better be out there doing the best that you can in order to convince people that they need to be saved. Right. And I look at that philosophy and all of the hurt and heartache and emotional abuse and spiritual abuse that that has validated and it's heartbreaking to turn back and look at it. And I have friends today who still maintain that, you know, that it is their job to evangelize. But thankfully, so many of them have also come to realize that the way to do that is to simply love people and right. to come from a place of love and grace and forgiveness and fun and enjoying life and embracing that and living it to its full. And that that opens up the doors for the conversations as opposed to the, you know, proverbial hitting them overhead with the Bible. Right. Right. Well, and you know, that also brings out, I mean, you don't need to apologize, but thanks. But um, that brings out really, it's, it's a 10 year old telling a 10 year old. So it's the conversations at in the house. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's that repetition in, of, of something that came up, but uh, which brings up other conversations like, you know, letting your, children think for themselves and things like that, teaching them to do those things. Right. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> well, and you know, it's funny because the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is there's a verse in Proverbs that says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. And I can't tell you how many times that verse, I mean, clearly I remember because it all comes back verbatim, mm -hmm. but you know, how many times that was used in teaching, whether it was at home or at Sunday morning, Sunday school, or the big church after Sunday school or Sunday night service or Wednesday night service or the youth group meetings, you get the idea. This is something yeah. we heard often. And when you look at that concept, you know, the concept in and of itself I don't disagree with, you know, as far as the idea of, of we have a responsibility as parents to train our children and to be invested in them and who they become and all the rest of it. Right. And yet at the same time, when it's taken to the nth degree, like so often happens in organized religion and in religious families, there's an added layer of guilt and manipulation and even fear that runs just under the current of all of these things. Because as a parent, if I don't teach you as a young child, then you're going to totally F up your life and it's right. my fault. So then we have my pride attached to your behavior. And that means I really need to micromanage who you are and how you show up in the world. Right. For fear of judgment on yourself. Yep, exactly. 
And that just, that creates a bit of a mind buck (laughs) as the child in that, that whole scenario. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely F to fear on that one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, you know, again, it's just on one hand, you know, I can look at the, the structure and I can call these things out for, you know, the allowing for creating that, that pattern. But at the same time, I have to say I'm really grateful for the awareness on this side of things because now I have an opportunity to parent my children differently. And in the choice of raising them with more freedom and flexibility and and empowering them to go out and learn on their own and to make their own choices, I can still be that safe place and be that foundation. And then just watching how that changes the relationship that I have with my parents And, you know, they see the difference in how I'm raising my kids versus how I was raised. And we're able to kind of come to a new understanding as adults, as opposed to the parent-child type of situation. So it's, it's really fascinating when there's enough love and unconditional acceptance and support. Mm-hmm. as the foundation. But unfortunately, that's just not the case for so very many people, especially in religious families. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating. It's very fascinating. Yeah, it has been a whirlwind of uh, conversation and depth and twists and turns and <laughs> all the rest of it in this process. I bet. I bet. So how do your parents um, feel as far as do they have conversations of wonderment or uh, like around uh, the holidays? Do they um, look at you like you're crazy or? (laughs) It's a good question. I I think we're, we're really at the point where there's some things we just don't talk about right now. Mm -hmm. So we're at a good place of the things that we can all agree on we stay anchored in that place. And, you know, a lot of love, a lot of laughter, a lot of a card game called Shanghai Rummy. That's like one of our things. (laughs) A lot lot of food, Uh, you know, just the things that we can really build on. And right now, I think I'm intentionally sidestepping some things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about fear and and being able to acknowledge that, I think I've got some things that I'm going to have to Uh, address and and be able to make some space for those conversations. I also know that I'm not in the right place to do that yet. So I'm just, I'm going to coast on the good stuff for a little while longer and just trust that when we need to take the next layer that we do. And, you know, right now it's good and it could be better, but right now it's good. Right. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's a very interesting balance, but I mean, they are amazing grandparents and uh, the relationship that we all have, the five of us together, I'm so grateful for. So trying to always keep that as the the cornerstone of things. Mm -hmm. That's really amazing. You'll know when you're ready. I'm here here for you when you need to. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm thinking there's a, a couple of different people that I've reached out from listening to the podcast and you know there's some that are completely estranged from their family of origin just completely entirely there's wow. some others that have said man i really hope my parents don't listen to this episode because we haven't talked about what i really think about faith right now uh you know and there's others that have said uh oh, 
this happened to me in the church and I, I'm 40 something now and I, I haven't been able to talk to them about it. And I think I'm going to have to do that. So, you know, the, the idea of being able to find ourselves in each other's stories has been such a powerful gift uh, in this entire process. So that's something that I'll always be grateful for, even though sometimes it makes for some pretty hard conversations. Right, right. No, it's amazing. And I think uh, there's a lot of people that will benefit and and are benefiting because it's a hard conversation to have. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. So if I could ask you too, you mentioned earlier the idea that your family is Jewish. You said half and half. First of all, I'm curious, what do you mean by half and half? So the interesting thing with my family is um, I grew up in outside of New York City in Rockland County, which is um, across the Hudson River, and reform uh, Judaism. But my dad was very involved. We were very involved in the temple. My dad's mother was a Catholic, raised Irish Catholic. And um, so we always did all holidays for her and Mm. for us. Although we never really did the Jewish holidays because we were always bad at the calendar, to be honest. I mean, Jewish holidays can be great. They're not, they're not as exciting as the other holidays. <laughs> and no one, the timing of the Jewish holidays by their own calendar is a little hard at times. Sure. But um, as I've gotten older, um, so that, well, let me back up. So growing up, that was sort of your social circle, though, because you would go from school to Hebrew school, but it was the social thing Mm -hmm. because all your friends were there anyway. So that was very easy. When I left to go to college in Ohio and then get married and come towards DC, um, there are not many Jews in Virginia. Interesting. I may say that. Really not many. And uh, I got very, very um, cynical, I would say. Mm. And so I was like, I, I, I wanted to go towards the other side and be more spiritual, of course, but I um, really questioned because one thing that bothers me terribly, and I hope I do not offend anybody, is that being a member of a synagogue requires a very, very large membership fee. Mm. And the synagogues that I had found um, required proof of your 1099s to prove if you could afford, if you didn't want to pay that much to prove that you wanted a break. Like you couldn't just say, can you reduce my fee? They wanted your tax taxes in front of them. They wanted evidence of that. Yeah. Which wow, I think is, that is the first time I've ever heard anything like that. I think that's disgusting. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I can understand that. So um, I was totally turned off. And when I grew up, you know, my parents were so involved in our synagogue that uh, we're very friendly with the rabbi. It was a very friendly atmosphere. So I went to this other rabbi in Virginia. And I was like, I was looking for some sort of like, uh, you know, philosophical, like give me spiritual something. You know, this is how I was raised, and I'm trying to find that way for my children. Mm-hmm. I never felt like I belonged. Um, 
And I wanted them to have some sort of foundation. So we, we church hop and we synagogue hop as best as we could. And he's like, well, just go do what you want. And I was like, that's your answer? <laughs> I'm like, wait a second, that's the best you got? And he's like, go do what you want. Raise your, do whichever you want. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to be here. <laughs> so see ya. Um, so I left it. And um, I really, I've left, I guess, the traditional Judaism behind. Uh, again, kind of to the idea of be a good person. I mean, I'd like to learn more about the spiritual side of some things. Mm-hmm. But I'm just fascinated with the overall, as you're talking about, like the overall structure of the church just overall structure of religion mm-hmm. but uh yeah I've really become cynical about <laughs> a lot of it to be honest no I can understand that completely and I I love what I'm hearing too is this idea of separating spirituality from religion because I think that that's something that just continues to drive me we don't need religion to be spiritual and from day one that was what we were sold that mm-hmm. in order to be a good spiritual person, that we must follow all of these religious conditions and, you know, realizing that I don't think that's quite right. And being able to lean into that and to question and to go to those deeper layers. But then again, kind of like bring it full circle to what we were talking about at the very beginning, coming back to myself and a deeper layer of self-awareness and that connection that I have directly with God or spirit or universe or, you know, whatever verbiage is that resonates with each of us as individuals to say that there's something here for the spiritual piece, the divine piece that doesn't have to conform to the external definitions. Right. And that's, that's kind of a risky thing in a lot of societies and a lot of cultures, even just again, you know, the idea of, of main street USA to say, I'm not going to choose to go to church or go to synagogue or pay a very large fee <laughs> to be a part of this religious club. You know, there's, there's some layers to that. Well, exactly. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking like $6,000 for a young family. I'm not like, which I think is a very large fee. <laughs> but um, yeah, I felt like I don't need this structure to, and walk in with, into this structure for maybe two holidays that I would show up for. Right. (laughs) Claim myself, you know, a spiritual person or belief in God or like, I know what I believe in. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know what I, my structure, my structure is. So as you were saying, I didn't need that physical structure. I had my, my own spiritual structure. So yeah, I was like, um, that part's not working for me. (laughs) Yeah. And just to be able to say, you know, what does work and what doesn't. And it's not to say that, you know, we can necessarily put ourselves in a position of, of picking and choosing belief systems, but actually kind of sort of, yeah, pick and choose the belief systems. I think with the idea of having, having the foundation in what you know to be true, and we can use so many different methods to evaluate what we find is truth or not, but to be able to, to be really clear about, Hey, I'm on this journey and this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm setting out for, as opposed to, you know, kind of like we were saying earlier, just accepting everything that comes through as truth rather than evaluate it for ourselves. Exactly. 
Yeah. And then, you know, from there, even exposing, I, I know I expose my kids to a plethora of, of things, different churches, different, like go choose. Mm-hmm. I, I want you to be that spiritual. I really want you to be good people, right. make good choices, be kind. Um, but if you feel like you need that building, choose something that makes you happy that you can walk in and be comfortable with and feel like it's a family. So absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's such an empowering thing to be able to give your kids to have that um, kind of that freedom and that grace to be able to try things on and Mm -hmm. see what fits well. Yeah. And I recognize that maybe what fits really well right now might not fit so well in in the next two or three years and that's okay. Right. It's okay. You you can change your mind and you can find something different or try something. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Yeah. And actually that reminds me uh, about what we were talking earlier, the forgiveness of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most important and helpful tools for me in that capacity was just this idea of I made the best choice I could in that moment with the information I had at that time. And when I got more information, I made a different choice. But to be able to really, you know, kind of honor who we were when we made various decisions along the way because it's very very rare that we're ever going to make an intentional choice to do something bad or negligent or hurtful without having information that would have set us up for that i mean it's it's just rare i think that someone's going to intentionally be an asshole yeah i agree with you and you know something that actually feeds into the whole fear aspect that fear serves you Hmm. and allow fear to serve you because it is kind of your um your gut your intuition just making you aware Mm -hmm. so instead of letting it hold you back like just let it raise the antenna and say okay i'm listening but i'm gonna do something here Yeah, yeah absolutely i love that well, I knew this was going to be a great conversation. Did not disappoint at all. <laughs> Good. This is fun. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Well, thank you so much for your time and, and just your willingness to dive deep with us here. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I, I loved it. And um, you're just so insightful and fantastic. So can't wait to have you on my show. And I just <laughs> totally appreciate your time. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And for all of you who are listening, uh, you know, you know, the likes and reviews are always nice, but really what I'm really excited about is to share the conversation with other people that matter to you. If something in this resonates with you and it gives you an open door to have your own conversation with your circle, that's what this is all about. It's finding ourselves in each other's stories. It's sharing the conversation. It's having the safe space to be heard and seen and be able to really evaluate things for ourselves. So thank you for being in this journey with us. And Robin, thank you again so much. I'm so grateful. Oh, thank you. I'm grateful too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye.